0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. Deville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.deville.church. It's good to see everyone this morning. Um, After Thanksgiving, or just finishing Thanksgiving weekend, I hope that you had a good thanksgiving, a time for really remembering what we have to be thankful for. Um, You know, for me, as I prepared to to share or speak this morning, I was very, realized, I was very thankful for Jay, our pastor, because this is the second week in a row I prepared. I thought, that's a lot of work. And so I'm very thankful for our Pastor Jay and the effort he puts into leading and to speaking to us every week. It's, it means a lot to me, and I think it's one of those things where you don't know how thankful you are for someone until you do their work for them. Uh, if you, those of us who are fathers here uh, and our wives stay home with the children, um, we don't know how thankful we are until we get the opportunity to stay home with our children, and then our wives are the, the greatest person that ever lived. And so uh that's kind of how i felt in preparing i just i'm thankful i'm thankful for jim yeah, thankful for, for all that, that that put into making our service happen for kevin and leading um and for others that uh, just to, to pitch in for uh the guys the sound booth back there just everyone that pitched in to make it it just makes me so thankful that we have a chance to come together and, and do this so I'm, I'm thankful this morning Uh, Over the past eight to ten weeks, we have looked at the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we've done a discipleship series from that, and uh, we've, through this time, we've learned or hopefully been reminded that we are made in God's image, and that image includes all aspects of our lives, our physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and social dimensions, and ignoring even one of those aspects of who we are as men and women made in God's image always results in destructive consequences in our relationship with God, in our relationships with others, and even in our relationship with ourselves. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. They go together. And so this morning, I'd like to take us back briefly to look at what we've covered over these last eight to 10 weeks and then finish our time together with where do we go from here how do we take this forward because I don't know about you but I, it's been it's impacted my life as I've taken the time to, to look and to, 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 to go into God's word as being led by the book and what uh, Pastor Scazzaro led us through and I, w- I would encourage you also um, as I've prepared today and gone back uh, if you get a chance over Christmas read back through the book go over it again uh, thinking about what you've learned over the last few weeks, if you've not read it, if this is the first time you have, didn't get a chance to go to the discipleship time, get a chance to read it. Uh, I just feel like it's, it's, it, has a, it has a strong message, a powerful message for us. But so I'd like to go back and look at the last few chapters, and then end on the last chapter today. One of the things we started off by learning is that there are, we have ten symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And I'd like to go through those briefly. The first one he mentioned was using God to run from God. What that means is that we create a great deal of God activity. We're very busy doing things for God, but we, many times we ignore the difficult areas in our lives that God wants to change. If I get busy, I don't have to look at the things that God wants to change in my life. Another th- sign is that we ignore the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. We don't know what to do with those, so we just ignore them. We die to the wrong things. Now, it's true that we are to die to sinful parts of our lives, but there are other parts of our lives that are healthy desires and and pleasurable to us, and God wants us to enjoy them. Not die to those, but we die to the wrong things. Many times we deny the past impact on the future or on the present. Our past impacts where we are today, and sometimes we deny that. We like to say that's in the past, and today is a different day, and it has no influence, but it does. Many times we divide our lives into the secular and sacred compartments. That's our divisions, it's not God's. We divide our lives. We, do, we find ourselves doing for God instead of being with God. Many times we'll spiritualize away conflict. We don't like conflict, so we find ways to spiritualize it and try to get away with it that way. Another thing we do is we cover our brokenness, weakness, and failure. We don't want people to see how we really are, so we try to cover it in some way instead of embracing it and say we're all broken before God. We try to live without limits. You know, God has no limits, but we do. We all have limits. But many times we want to live without them. We feel like we, we can live without them to our detriment. And then finally, we'll judge other people's spiritual journey. Maybe a lot of our own, we'll judge. And God didn't make any of us to judge. I don't know if you, if you recognize yourself in any of those, or any of those things in you, I would say this book is for you. It has been for me. As I read this, it was like, oh, uh, oh, I see myself in many of those as I live my life. So as we went through the study, we learned that we have to, we have to know ourselves that we may know God. Our awareness of ourself, and, or yourself, and your relationship with God is Intricately related. We have to know ourselves so that we can know God. Many times, though, we're tempted to know a false self. And that is shown in three There's three temptations we learn through the book. One is we're tempted to see ourselves and know ourselves as I am what I do. My performance determines who I am. Or I am what I am, have. My possessions determine who I am. Or I am what others think, my popularity. That's who I am. And we create a false self around these. And this is how we live our lives. But God says, no, there's an authentic you that you need to, to, to find. And he says the way to do that, as he shared with the book, was pay attention to your interior in silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. We, 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 we seem not like that. I've, I know myself many times, what we, want, uh, we want noise around us for some reason. We need that. But in silence and solitude, we can listen to really what's happening within us. And then we find trusted companions who can speak into us and encourage us and and tell us what they see and reaffirm what what God is doing in our lives and not live in the false self that we want to create. The third thing he says, we need to move out of your comfort zone. When you begin to move out of your false self, that's all you've known, it becomes uncomfortable. He says, we've got to be be able to do that, be willing to do that. Go to where you haven't gone before, an uncomfortable place to know yourself better. And then finally, he said, you need to pray for courage. Because when we begin to move away from our false self that's determined by our performance, our possessions, our popularity, then others who that's where they live, they'll try to pull us back. They'll say, don't go there, don't do that. They'll try to make us stay in our false self instead of discovering who we are. And many times we can become comfortable with our false self instead of deserving who God says we are. Now, I'm not, going to go, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. I'm just bringing them to you as we learn from the book. We're kind of going back over them. Um, but I, I would encourage you to read it and understand it more for yourself. So after we, we learned about knowing ourselves and we know God, we learned about we need to go back in order to go forward you know it's important that we embrace god's choice to birth us in our families in the place he did in our our time in history this is this is we need to understand that this is important to us we need to understand that we are where we come from many times our, our family shaped us in ways that we may not even realize so we need to go back and understand our family of origin to understand ourselves even better today an emotionally healthy spirituality is about reality, not denial or illusion. And I can say that I'm a different person from my family, but my family shaped me, in a lot of ways I'm not even aware of. So we need to go back to go forward. And then we learned about we need to be willing to journey through the wall. In this chapter, we, there were five, there were six stages of faith we learned about. First was the life-changing awareness of God. We all come to a point in our lives, we, 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 many of us will understand that God is real. God is it's an awareness of God. It changes our lives as we embrace it. We call that salvation in Christ. From that, we begin to learn what does it mean. We go through the stage of discipleship and begin to learn how to live this life. And then from learning that, we want to be involved and start serving. The active life is serving. From there, we go to what we call a journey inward. From the journey inward we go to the journey outward and then we're transformed into love this wall we we read, we heard about usually happens between stages three and four the active life of serving and the journey inward and many times it's the wall that forces us to journey inward and it can be many times painful situations we face things we don't understand why did this happen I don't understand. I thought I was being faithful to serve and, and do what God wanted me to do, and then this painful thing happened. This disappointment, this thing that I don't understand, it's a wall that hits us. and there just, We have to make a decision whether we will get stuck at that wall or whether we will press through the wall and journey through the wall. And we found that if we journey through the wall, on the other side, there are four things that we will find. One is a greater level of brokenness. We'll realize that we are broken before God and we'll see ourselves as, not, as we haven't seen before. Then we'll have a greater appreciation for holy, unknowing mystery. None of us can explain why things come about to us in our lives, good or bad. We can't explain. It's a mystery to us. None of us can explain it. It is a, a mystery. and We have to have a greater appreciation for that, that God knows all things and I know so little. And then we, we develop a deeper ability to wait for God. God is working, and he's not working in my time, he's working on his time. And I can wait for that by going through the wall. I can wait for that. And then the fourth thing that we will find on the other side of the wall is a greater detachment for the things of the world. We, we're living for a different world, not here. And so I'm, I'm, less deta- I'm less attached to the things here as I go through the wall but it's my decision whether I'll get stuck at that wall. And we'll face many walls through our lives, I've found. And i decide whether I'll get stuck at that wall or I will journey through it with God to the other side. And I, I said many times these wall experiences, they're very painful. They, they involve loss in some way in our lives. We, we lose things that we thought were important to us. And we lose them in the, for the sake of following Christ. And we go into a time of grief and loss. And what do we do with that? How do we handle grief and loss? But God can use it to enlarge us, to enlarge our souls through grief and loss, as it's shared in the book. But many times, we don't want to go there. It's too painful. So we find ways to protect ourselves from pain. He talked about eight ways that we do. We protect ourselves from pain. Many times, we'll deny it. We live in denial that it's really that painful or that it exists. We'll deny it. Another way is we minimize it. We minimize the pain in their lives, otherwise we'll blame others. We gotta find some way to place this blame for this pain, so I blame others. Maybe I blame myself for the pain I'm experiencing and the loss and grief I'm experiencing. Maybe I'll rationalize it. I'll try to rationalize why this has happened, understand why it's happening, intellectualizing it. If I just knew more, made better decisions, this wouldn't have happened or something. We're trying to deal with the grief and loss Or otherwise, I'll distract myself with other things so that I don't have to face it. If I'm distracted, maybe it'll just go away. Or the eighth thing he said is I become hostile. I become a hostile person because of this grief and loss that's in my life. That's how we, in our our, our natural person, try to protect ourselves from pain. It's, It's natural responses. But he says there's biblical grieving. There's biblical ways to grieve the loss in our lives. First, he says, pay attention. To the pain. Pay attention. It's real. The, the pain and anger and sadness is real in their lives. It's not to be uh, denied or minimized. It's real. So pay attention to it. And then wait there as God works. In the, we call it the confusing in-between. What's God doing? I don't understand. Why is it so hard? But God says, wait there. We can wait. That's what He wants us to do. Wait in that. And I think a lot of times what I find myself is uh, I, I, I'm in that point of waiting and others have a hard time waiting with me. Uh, we become like Job's friends. If you remember the story of Job, when he was in his trials and very painful times, his friends came, and instead of waiting with him, they tried to make it better, it wasn't in God's time. So are we willing to wait ourselves and wait with others in this confusion in between? And then we need to embrace the gift of limits. We're limited in what we know and, and what we can do, our resources, we're all limited. Only God is limitless. We are limited. We need to embrace that in our biblical grieving. Then he said we need to climb the ladder of humility. I found that interesting. It goes from having a fear of God and mindfulness of him all the way to doing God's will, willing to let others lead as we're going into humility, patient with others' difficulties, a radical honesty about our weaknesses and faults, deeply aware of my sin i thought this is interesting and then I, I speak less i don't have to speak i could speak less and let god speak and then finally in this ladder of humility he said we transformed the love of god as god is grieving before god he's working he's in he's working our lives and then finally he said then we let the old birth the new in god's time he will use this to make something new in our lives but we have to let him we, how, how do we handle grief and loss? And, and God wants to use it in our lives to make us who he wants us to be. He wants to enlarge our souls through grief and loss. Through that point of it, for me, I was, I was about ready to quit. It was, getting, it was getting heavy. It was getting hard. I was ready to quit. But then it was like, no, now I'm at a point of learning how I can God can use this in my life and some things I can begin to, begin to do and see God work. And so then we, we went to the next chapter was... The, discovering the rhythms of daily office and Sabbath. Daily office, as I said, is a daily time of, of, before the Lord. How do we, how do we use those times? How do we come before the Lord? He talked about the elements of a daily office. It's something we do two to three times a day for 10 to 15 minutes, reconnecting with the Lord during the day. He said there are four elements of it. One is, the first one is stopping. Stop what we're doing and come before the Lord. Centering, focusing on the Lord, getting our, our thoughts Focused on him. Be silent before him. Uh, going through this, a lot of what he encouraged us to do is to be silent. Not to have to speak. I don't know about you, but when I'm many times in a, a, a prayer with others or myself, I say, let's pray. Immediately, someone starts speaking. Have you ever been to a prayer time where we say, let's pray, and we just be quiet? We just listen? It's just, it's, it seems like it's so unnatural for us. But as part of the daily office, we're, we're to be silent and let God speak. And then the scriptures. Use the scriptures to direct us and form us. Those are the elements of the office. And those of you who are in the, in the weekly uh, Bible study, we, we did that. We practiced that. And I'd encourage you to practice it. And even there's a, a, a book that goes along with this called The Daily Office to guide us and lead us. And I've used it. And it's been powerful in my life. And then he encourages us. Another rhythm is Sabbath. Keep a Sabbath. You know, and keep a, a time in the week where you come before the Lord in an extended period of time. So there, there are four principles of a Sabbath. Again, stop. Don't keep doing what you're doing. Stop. Pull aside. Find time to rest. What well, rests you? Rest before the Lord. Rest and, you know, um, Connie, my wife read a book some years ago, said, when I rest, I feel guilty. I don't know if you have that problem. We, we, we're so accustomed to work that we don't know how to rest. And we need to rest. God calls us to rest in the Sabbath. And then delight. What, what do you delight in? What, what brings delight to your soul? Find that and, and go there. And then contemplate. Contemplate. Spend time just contemplating God and what he's doing in your life and where you see him on, the Sabbath, on an extended period of time. A Sabbath. Keep a Sabbath. It's a rhythm of life that he's given us that we can experience him. And then the last two weeks, we talked about how to grow into an emotionally mature adult. He talked about uh, Rodney led us to a time of looking at being, we were spiritual children, and then we became spiritual infants, then children, then, uh, then we became adolescents, and then what does it look like to be an adult? And one of the main things we looked at is to be an adult spiritually or a mature adult spiritually, emotionally, it means that we have to be peacemakers in times of conflict. We looked at what does that mean? How to be a peacemaker? We looked at that last week. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? And now today, I want to finish our time by talking about what's the next step. The next step is to develop a rule of life. How do we do this on a, on a regular basis? How do we live our lives this way? And in the book, he says the rule of life is very simply an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. How do we do that? How do we keep God at the center of everything we do? As, we, as, we, as I shared last week, Uh, One author said that we're we're born narcissists. And throughout our lives, we're working to overcome our narcissism. So if that's true, how do we keep God at the center? If if we're born naturally at the center, how do we keep God at the center of our lives? It's a plan. We develop a plan to do that. The starting point and foundation of any rule of life is the desire to be with God and to love Him. A desire to be with God and to love Him. That needs to be what, what motivates us. In the Bible, in the book of Daniel, uh, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, it's an amazing story of uh, of the young man Daniel and his, his his life in the in Babylon. But it begins the book of Daniel begins with uh, the Babylonian army attacking Jerusalem. Before this in history, uh, Israel was one nation. Then they divided because they couldn't decide on who was going to be king. And there was a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was already uh, taken over by Assyria and taken off into captivity. And Daniel is the account of how Babylon came into Jerusalem and took the southern kingdom and took him captive. And most of the population of Jerusalem was taken off as slaves to Babylon. The only people who were left in Jerusalem were those that were uh, uh, weak or they wouldn't have any problem with. they left them there. But Daniel was one of the ones who was exiled from his homeland. Daniel was living in Babylon. He was away from his family. He was cut off from his family, his his culture, his food, his language. Everything was different for him, but he's also a very bright young man, he and some others. They they noticed that some were more able, had more abilities, so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, chose Daniel and others to be in his court and to be educated at the best university of the world at the time because he wanted them to be servants and be be, uh, useful for Babylon. So Daniel was taught by pagan priests and counselors in a completely foreign and pagan way of viewing the world. They wanted wanted to change him. Even in their efforts to make him Babylonian, they changed his name. They gave him a new name. He he wasn't called Daniel in Babylon. He was called Belshazzar in Babylon. They had one simple goal for Daniel and the others they brought. and They they, they put him in this university and they trained him. They wanted to eliminate Daniel's distinctiveness as a follower of God and to absorb him into the values of their culture. That's what they wanted. Does that sound familiar? Have you experienced that in your life? I think that's what culture does around us. But Daniel resisted. How did Daniel resist? I mean, he, he, had, he faced pressures every day to assimilate. I mean, he was in a different land, and, you know, they had different gods, and They had different ways of doing things, so become like us. He had heavy job responsibilities, and and he had a minimal support system. I mean, when he was in Jerusalem, everybody was encouraging each other. When he got out in Babylon, he was on his own. So how did he resist this assimilation? How did he resist not becoming Babylonian in all ways? He resisted because he had a plan, a rule of life, we'll call it. He didn't leave his... Development of his internal faith in his life with God to chance. He knew he was up against incredible pressures to become like the Babylonians. He knew that, and he realized, if we look at our culture today, he realized a, a, a one-hour Sunday service and a 15-minute daily, daily quiet time would be enough. He he chose to orient his life around loving God, and we see that in examples in the, in, in the Book of Daniel in chapter 1 verse 8 as a part of being part of nebuchadnezzar's court uh, nebuchadnezzar's court uh, and being the selected individuals he was given special food from the king Uh, i don't know what all the food was but the food that daniel didn't want to partake in i don't know how they prepared it and all but he he said he, he asked if he could just be given vegetables and water for himself and he was allowed to do that but so he renounced or gave up certain activities as part of his rule of life. He said, I know what's important to me, and I'm going to live my life this way. So he, he took a risk of saying, to ask if he could be, not be partaking this. So he renounced or gave up certain activities. And then he engaged in irregular times of being with God. In chapter um, 6 of Daniel, it says that three times a day he prayed, giving thanks to God, three times a day. So he engaged in regular times of, with God. And in this way, because he he renounced or gave up certain activities, and because he engaged in regular times with God, he grew into an extraordinary man of God in a very hostile environment. So the question for us is, what are we willing to give up? And what do we need to engage in to show that we truly prefer the love of Christ above all things? And to keep God at the center of our lives. We'll all have to make those those choices to say, "What, what do I need to give up? And what do I need to engage in? to keep God the center and to show that I truly love Him above all things? You know, although God has made each of us unique and different, our goal is the same: Union with God in Christ, transformation into His image, and the freeing of our hearts from anything that stands in the way of Christ living in and through us. That's our goal, each of us, even though we do it uniquely and differently, that's our goal, is to be united with Christ, God in Christ, transformed into His image and the freeing of our hearts from anything that stands in the way of Christ living in and through us. And from the book, Pete Scazzaro suggests 12 elements to consider for a rule of life. And he divides these into four categories. And I put these before you, I don't put it out there to say, put you under a pile, or it's, just, it's what he's, he's saying. If we, if we faithfully adhere to these, if we strive after these, we can develop a rule of life that keeps God the center of our lives at all times. The first one he said was prayer. He said we need to be committed to prayer. And that includes scripture, once again, silence and solitude, the daily office, regular times during the day, two or three times a day, where we come before the Lord, take a step aside, focus on the Lord, and then study. We need to be committed to study of God's Word. The second one he talked about was rest. We need to be committed to rest. And he he talks about it in the form of a Sabbath. We need to be committed to keeping the Sabbath. We need to be committed to simplicity. Simplicity. Our world is very complex. Uh, very complex. But we need to be compli- committed to simplicity. And then play and recreation. We need to find how do we play. How do we rec- how do we What, what recharge? What, we, what do we enjoy? That's part of rest. Then he talked about work and activity. What is, what is, how, do we, how does work and activity fit into this rule of life? He, he mentions two, two things. One is service and mission. What, what has God called you to do, be involved in? What's your service? What's the mission God's laid on your heart to be involved in? And then the care for our physical body. If we don't care for ourselves, who's going to care for us? Who's going to care for us? We need to care for ourselves. Listen to what our bodies tell us and care for us so that we can be involved in the service and mission that he, he calls us to. And then the last fourth thing he said was relationships. We need to, be, we need to take care of our emotional health in our relationships, with our, our relationship with ourselves. How are we doing emotionally? We share in the book. What about our family? How are we relating to our family? Are we, are, we, are we relating in positive, helpful ways? And the community, companions for the journey. How, how are we relating to each other? You know, how is this, where are we at in our lives in relating to each other? If we focused on those four areas prayer, rest, work activity, and relationships we could grow and have a, a rule of life that these are these, knowing God through these components will make us more like God wants us to be, and i don 't believe any one of us can say we're consistent in all these elements we 're all a working process we 're all working toward that, and God knows that and I, as we look at this, we can say there are some that i 'm better at, I can say than others. I can see myself i 'm making progress here I have a lot long way to go there I think I, I need to think of one or two that I can say, can I work on this area? Can I, can I be more committed to seeing this change in my life? Um, and I can ask others to help me. For myself, I feel like I need help in the area of play and, and recreation. I need to play more. You know, My wife Connie, she helps me in this area. Uh, she's the vacation planner in our home. She, she, she has incredible ideas of how can rest and play. She challenges me to, to, to play more. I, I get too serious some things. And, so I need this. I need her to, to speak into this area of my life. I need others too. Um, so what about yourself? What, what area do you need to improve in? and how, who can you ask to help you to improve in that area? For me, I look at this as uh, not something that will happen quickly as something to work toward, and God knows that. I look at it as I think about when I learned to drive. How many of you remember when you learned to drive a car? And I think about how how, how hard it was to remember all the things to do. You know, when you get in the car, it's like you got to remember to uh, adjust the seat, fasten your seat belt, press the brake, release the handbrakes, adjust the mirrors, uh, find the ignition switch, turn the key in the ignition switch while pressing the brakes, release the switch so it doesn't damage the starter. uh, While pressing the brakes, shift into drive or reverse, I thought, all this is before I even leave the driveway. It was just like, this is too much. I was just, it was overwhelming to try to learn to drive a car. I thought, will I ever learn to do this? But then you think, okay, once I got past the driveway, got out on the road, there are other things to think about. I had to keep the car on my side of the road and not let it drift to the other lane. I had to watch for other cars and make sure there's enough space between my car and the car in front of me or around me. And I had to release the gas and slowly press the brake as I came to a stop sign. How many times did I launch my, my parents into the dash as I slammed on the brakes? Um, I had to make sure that the, it, I was in the correct lane to turn. I had to make sure I turned into the correct lane. Okay, And then when I parked the car, I had to press the brake as I shifted the car into park. And this is with a, a, an automatic transmission. If you start driving a, a, a manual transmission, it adds even more to it. And I just remember how, how hard it was, how stressful it was. to to try to drive, and and, and I thought it was stressful for me, but also for my mom or dad who was trying to teach me, but I wanted to learn to drive so bad, I kept at it, I kept to learn, until today, it's like second nature, I don't even think about it, when I get in, I I do all these things without even thinking about it, because it's become second nature, and this became obvious to me When we lived overseas, we lived in a a country that was British ruled for a while, and if you know anything about the British, they do things different than we do. And one of the things they do, they drive on the left side of the road instead of the right side of the road. And so, when I started driving overseas, I had to learn how to drive on the left side of the road. Uh, And then I had to make the transition when I came back to the states to drive back on the right side of the road. And I, you know, it's interesting. People do not like it when you're going toward them in their lane, when you're facing them in their car. They don't like that. They, they get rather annoyed at that. And then those driving with you, they get excited when you're driving on the wrong side of the road. And how many times did my family, when I would come back to the U.S., say, you're on the wrong side of the road, get over. And I was, oh, yeah, yeah that's right. I, but I had to learn, relearn how to drive. And I, I realized how, how it had become so common to me, so much a part of my life. I didn't, I didn't even think about it. And I think developing a rule of life, can it be common and natural to me as, as driving? Can I do it without thinking about it? Because I, I, this, is, this is what I want to be. You know, I think about it, um, I didn't learn to drive in a day. None of us did. And neither will I develop a rule of life in a day. But it will take time to develop a consistent rule of life. Give yourself time. And don't become impatient yourself. Work on this. it a work. And God knows it is. Don't give up. It's easy to give up. Because for me, a relationship with God is worth it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for what we've learned over these last few weeks uh, about uh, becoming emotionally healthy, spiritual. Followers of you, and I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that we will pursue knowing you in a way that we want to be healthy, and we want others around us to be healthy. We'll encourage one another. We'll encourage each other to take time with you, to spend in quiet worship and listening to you. We'll encourage each other uh, to take Sabbaths of rest, and we'll encourage each other to not give up and to keep pressing on that we might become um, spiritually healthy in a world that uh, needs to see that in in their midst. And, Father, thank you that uh, you call us to this, you invite us to this, because you want us to know you in ways uh, that we haven't known you at this time, and and we can know you. So thank you. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.